to you. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 6, so if you would turn to John chapter 6 as we are in our Gospel of John series, and we'll pray as we open the scriptures this morning. Father, again, I just pray your biggest blessing on all the women that are in the building right now. We recognize that you have a special, unique way of expressing yourself through the feminine, through mothers, through women in particular. And we pray that our women would feel loved, supported, and blessed, cheered on, and continued to just be supported. And we ask that now as we get into the scriptures, that Jesus, you would be known, loved, and thought about as we look at the scriptures now. In Jesus' name, we said together, amen, amen. I was thinking what I could give to the moms today for Mother's Day, and I decided a short sermon would be a gift I could give to you so that your kids could take you to lunch. So every female here needs to be taken to lunch. So uh, take the women to lunch, take the moms to lunch. Um, I actually heard one mom say, though, those of you who have children, that uh, trying to clean your house while having kids is like brushing your teeth with Oreo cookies. <laughs> so we're going to be looking here at a part of John chapter 6, really just one verse, um, in verse 35. So when you're there, say, I'm there. And if you're not there, say, I'm not there yet. And we're in John chapter 6, verse 35. I'll read it. Then Jesus declared... I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So when my five-year-old, or at the time five-year-old, now 11-year-old son Justice was five, his mom had us all on a very, 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 I didn't memorize enough very, very strict diet. Um, this was before Whole30 was even a thing, I think. And it was no sugar, no gluten, no dairy, no artificial, no happiness diet. And so we were just miserable. I don't know why some of y'all do this to yourselves, but we were doing it to ourselves. And one day I had a total meltdown in the family minivan. Um, and so I, I, I had had enough of this no happiness diet. And so I pulled the, the family minivan into Dairy Queen <laughs> and uh, we all pulled in and it was like, it was like a scene from a movie. Like everything went into slow motion. The minivan doors opened on both sides and you know, it's just some, some good like rap music was playing and we all just jumped out and were frolicking through the parking lot of Dairy Queen, uh, about ready to ruin our lives through chocolate covered dilly bars. Um, and as my youngest five-year-old son, Justice, at the time five years old, jumped out of the car, he just spontaneously said, Dad, you're buff and you have a good heart. <laughs> it's just a, all it took was a dilly bar. And at first I really wanted to take that compliment, and then I realized he had ulterior motives. <laughs> And in John chapter 6, that's actually the story we find ourselves in here. There is a crowd that is coming to Jesus with ulterior motives. Jesus just made a lot of bread to feed a lot of people out of a little boy's lunch. And they are now looking to Jesus for the material, the physical, what Jesus the bread machine can give them. And in, actually in, in, in the chapter, in verses 30 and 31, they come to Jesus and essentially ask him to repeat the miracle that Moses 
had done in the wilderness. That is the provision of manna every day. So you know Israel, for 40 years, they were in a desert and they had bread delivery every morning for 40 years. And as, when you read the, the book of Exodus, you find that the manna was like this round white honey bread stuff. So really good. I keep thinking it's probably like, have you guys had the English muffin with blackberry jam at brew, the new one? It is like divine. It, and so I'm just, man, that's manna. Every day, the just brew uh, English, it's, it's not like any English muffin you've ever had. Ask Adam, like he pretty much has a steady diet of these. Um, and uh, it's just, it, every day they open their, their, the flap on their tent and there is English muffins with blackberry jam uh, waiting for them every morning. Um, and so really this morning, what we want to do though is, is look at a statement that Jesus made to these crowd of bread seekers. They were seeking not Jesus' heart, but his hands. And, and Jesus' response to them was simply, you're looking for material things, but Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And this statement alone, though it's short, is foundational in our understanding of the identity of who Jesus is. So we're simply gonna unpack that one statement. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And we're going to unpack it in three ways. First of all, we're going to look at Jesus is I am. That is, we must worship him. Number two, Jesus is bread. He invites us to eat of him. And then thirdly, Jesus is life. We are to follow him. And so that's just really what we're going to look at this morning, this one statement. So let's begin with Jesus said, I am, and we are to worship him. If you are aware of the I am statement, this phrase, we'll, we'll look into it just a little bit here this morning. Um, but if you've studied the Gospel of John before, you recognize that one of the literary devices that John uses is the number seven. And so John is framed up by a series of sevens. Um, but one of the sevens that John uses is the seven statements that Jesus says about himself, putting in front of those statements the two words, I am. So seven times in John's gospel, this being the first, Jesus will say, I am, and then fill in the blank. For instance, here in John chapter six, Jesus said, I am the what? Bread of life, right? Then in John chapter eight, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. Then again in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. Then in John chapter 11, again, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. And then finally, in John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine. Now, if you've been a student of scripture around church for very long, you know that this, these two words, I am, are very significant in theology. Um, it takes us all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. And in Exodus chapter 3, Moses has an encounter with God in which God calls Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt. And while Moses is having this encounter with God, Moses is questioning the validity of his own calling. And he then asks God this question, when I go before the people, who am I to say is sending me? What is your name and who are you? And it's to that question that Moses asks God, what is your name? God says, I am who I am. Now, that statement is an important statement 
because it is what the Jews call the tetragrammaton. Anybody heard that 50-cent word, tetragrammaton? And, and, and if it, essentially, it's four letters. In, in the English, it's Y-H-W-H. And, and the Jews have put only vowels and no con- no, are all consonants, no vowels, for fear of mispronunciations. So a Jew to this day, an Orthodox Jew, will not pronounce the tetragrammaton, the I am, for fear of mispronunciation. They've taken so seriously the command not to take the name of the Lord in vain that they will simply say, when they refer to the, 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 the name of God as the name, for fear of mispronouncing the name, the Y-H-W-H, we say Yahweh, we might pronounce Jehovah, but it, to the Jews, it's the name. It's tetragrammaton. It's Y-H-W-H. And Jesus, when he shows up, he says, I am. I am, Jesus said. And again, seven times in John, he says, I am this, I am this, I am this, I am this. In other words, I am what you need whenever you need it. But let there be no mistake, when Jesus used the phrase I am, he was using the ego e me in Greek, the tetragrammaton, the Y-H-W-H, the name of God. For in John chapter 18, as he's in the garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers come to take him to crucify him, he asks them, who are you seeking? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said in the Greek, ego e me. I am tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, yo, it's me here. I, the, actually, this I am is I exist. And so, who are you looking for, Jesus of Nazareth? I exist, I am. And the whole group of soldiers fell backwards. Jesus wields the name with power. We say things in the church like there is power in the name of Jesus. Listen, there is power when Jesus uses his name right. When Jesus says, I am, it's a force to be reckoned with. When we were singing this morning, Jesus, 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 that's power. The Bible says that every knee would bow, every tongue would confess the name of Jesus Name is important. Jesus is his name. He is the I am. And when he says, I am, people pick up rocks. Soldiers fall down. People become changed by the name of Jesus. Amen? Let the church say amen to things like that. Secondly, we see this powerful statement, John six thirty five. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the bread we can eat of him. And when Jesus said bread in that context to those people, you have to understand that bread was life. Before we had all this mess with gluten and stuff and some people mess with our wheat or whatever happened that everyone's got a gluten intolerance, people used to eat bread all the time. Bread was your daily food. You had bread almost every single day. So when Jesus says, I am bread... He's saying, I am what feeds people every day. And in Jesus' day, most of the local bakers would put a seal on their bread so that when you bought it out in the village or the marketplace, it had the seal of that particular baker. And it's significant because look down at your text in John chapter 6 to verse 27. Note, 
Jesus, he's telling them that he's going to give them eternal bread that won't spoil. But listen to what he says in verse 27. He says, for on him, he's speaking of himself, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He's using a bread baker, bread metaphor analogy saying, God has placed his seal on me. I am the I am. I am the bread. And Father has said, the Father has put the print of himself on the Son to say, this is one you can trust. This is one who will sustain you. And so Jesus is essentially coming and saying, receive of me. Eat of me. Take of me. I will come into you. I will be your bread. I will sustain you. And this was a controversial thing. Because Jesus says, look down at verse 53. This idea bothered many of them. He said, unless, verse 53, you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And the disciples and the crowd was bothered by this statement. What are we talking about here? Cannibalism? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't eat any part of me? Verse 60, they said, the disciples, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? And then it says in verse 66, which some people who get really into this stuff say 666. John 666, look at it. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That's such a 666 verse, right? Um, but it was this idea of Jesus saying, receive my life, eat of me. And this brings us to a mystery in the church, the, the mystery of the sacrament, the mystery of Eucharist, the body, the blood, the bread and the wine that we take care of Emmaus every single Sunday. We eat and drink of the Lord. There is this mystery and the church has sort of been in controversy on how to unpack and understand the mystery of God's presence in the bread and the cup and how Jesus said literally through this act, I will mysteriously, mystically come into you. And the church divides all over the place. I have a book about all the views that the church has over the body and the blood, the Eucharist. Some say transubstantiation. It's literally transformed into Jesus' body and blood. Others of the church say it's only a symbol. It, it, there's nothing mysterious or magical. But I tend to land in the middle position, as with most things, to a position the Lutheran church holds called consubstantiation, which says that when we eat and when we drink, it's not literally flesh and blood, but it Jesus is mysteriously, mystically present in the meal. So when we go and eat the bread and drink the cup, it's not just symbol. I wouldn't go as far as some and say it's, you know, transubstantiation, but this middle point, we're, we're stepping into a mystery. When we eat and we drink, Jesus says, I am the bread. And this started far before Jesus talked about it here in Exodus chapter 25, when God was giving the priests his instructions on how to worship in the Old Testament tabernacle, he instructed them with very specific ingredients on how to bake what was called in that day, and maybe in your translation, the showbread. And the showbread was to be baked by the priests with a very specific recipe placed on the table of showbread inside the tabernacle for the entire week and every Sabbath the priests were to eat the showbread before the Lord. And this showbread, this phrase showbread could literally be translated in the original uh, Hebrew, bread of the face. 
Or in modern translations often talk about the showbread as being presence bread. So when a priest at the end of the week on the Sabbath, the high holy day, would go before God at the table of showbread, they would go into the tabernacle, the holy place, and they would eat. They would be eating the bread of the face of God. They would be eating the presence bread. They believed and they were experiencing something of the kabod, the weighty, glorious presence of God in bread at a meal. And that sends forth ripples all the way to New Testament where Jesus says, I am bread. Eat of me. So every time you and I, the priests of God, go back to those tables, it's sacred. We are priests entering into the holy place, taking the, 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 the bread of the face, the presence bread, the show bread, and we are saying, Jesus, you are bread, and I receive you. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I receive you. I receive your name. I receive your person. And I'm taking this physical emblem and I'm believing something magical, something mysterious, something beautiful, something powerful happens when we take communion. Amen? Jesus said, I am the bread. Eat of me. And then he says, I am life. Jesus is life. Follow him. The life that Jesus is referring to when he says, I am the bread of life, is referring more to quality of life. We've talked about this before here. But the, the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, actually uses three words for our one word, life. You know, in English, we're so limited. Um, we have one word for a lot of things, and the, the ancient languages often have many words to say exactly what you want to say. So when the, the Greeks would talk about life, they talked about it, and the New Testament talks about it in three ways. There is the Greek word bios, where we get our word biology. It's actually your physical life, the life of the physical body. That's one form of life. And most people understand that form of life. The second form of life in the Greek language is suke, where we get our word psychology, or the life of the mind and the will and the emotions, the seed of your emotions. That's your suke, your soul and, and, and most people understand the life of the bios and the life of the suke, your inner person and your outer person. But the word Jesus uses, and often the New Testament uses, is the word zoe. And zoe life actually is the uncreated eternal life of God, the divine life uniquely possessed by God. So every living homo sapien has experienced bios and suke. So y'all know bios and suke. You're living it every day. Some of you aren't as in touch with your suke as you should be, but you are an emotional, willful, mindful, internal person. You have thoughts, emotions, feelings. That's your suke. And we all have bodies. We're all here in the physical. And, and most people, when they think of life, they think of life in suke and bios forms. And, and, and every living person has those, but not every living person has zoe. Not every person is experiencing the life of God in them. And even some followers of Jesus are not experiencing his life. Because like this crowd, we come to Jesus and said, give us suke, give us bios, give me a good life in my body, heal it. Give me a good life in my internal person, make me happy. And Jesus says, I've got more for you than just bios and suke. I have zoe for you. I have my divine life that supersedes even the bios and the suke. There was this guy called Solomon, a pretty important king, 
wouldn't you say, in the Bible. Um, pretty important guy, very influential. Um, richest, wisest man that ever lived, aside from Jesus. Um, and in his old age, after he had seen many years and done many things and spent much money and had many experiences, he writes a book about his pursuit of Zoe. It's called the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes just simply means the preacher. So he comes to preach. And if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, it's a mind bender. It's philosophical. It's deep. It's dark. It's minor notes. It's like, what in the world? This is insanity. This is depression. I need Prozac. I mean, this is just really intense stuff. But really, essentially, if you're going to boil down Ecclesiastes, it's Solomon's record of his pursuit, pursuit of Zoe. The problem with Solomon is he pursued Zoe life through Suke and Bios life. In other words, he tells us what he did to try to find life. Wine, women, he had a thousand wives and concubines. He overdid it. Um, he had... He multiplied horses. He had money like coming out of his ears, like money everywhere. He had so much gold that silver was like a stone in Israel. He pursued wine, women, song, parties, wisdom, philosophy. And as he was pursuing each one of these, he tells us, this is what I did to pursue this. And at the end, he would say, but it was all vanity and emptiness, cotton candy, soap bubbles, nothing to it. Because of this pursuit of life in the wrong form, Solomon ended up emptying his pursuits, trivial pursuits. And most of us in church, if you're being a good Christian on Sunday morning, would listen to Solomon and say, amen, as he stood on the top of every hill you are currently trying to climb and said, turn back, there's nothing here. It's all vanity, 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 soap bubbles, cotton candy, turn back. And on Sunday morning, we all say, amen. We're not pursuing suke and bios. We're pursuing zoe life. But I would venture to say, Monday through Friday, most of us are pursuing life and not the way that Jesus was talking about it. We want all the things in the body and in the mind and everything else to be right. Not that God does not provide those things, but that is not all there is to life. And Jesus stands outside of all of it and beckons us. As Solomon warns us, Jesus beckons us. A homeless rabbi with no suke or bios to speak of says, Come and eat of me. I am the bread of life. He beckons us to come. And I'll finish with this. Speaking of our pursuits in life that lead often nowhere, um, several years ago, 60 Minutes did an unforgettable interview with the quarterback of the New England, New England, New England Patriots, um, Tom Brady. And uh, at that time, he was a three-time Super Bowl winner. At this point in Tom Brady's life, he's worth so many millions. I'll try to look it up. And uh, I just know this, the Patriots pay him over $20 million a year. That's not without all the endorsements that these athletes make. I mean, he, he goes to Under Armour and they're paying him bank just to be part of their brand. So at, at Tom Brady's life point now, he's won Super Bowl five times. And he has made more appearances to the Super Bowl than any other player in history, eight times to the Super Bowl. He is married to a Brazilian multimillionaire supermodel. 
So if you would, he is a modern day Solomon. And several years ago, before he'd even been to the Super Bowl eight times and won five times, he had three Super Bowl rings. 60 Minutes did an interview with Tom Brady. And this is what interviewer Steve Croft reveals. Brady says this. A lot of times I think I get very frustrated and introverted. And there's times where I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings, now five, and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's gotta be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27 at that time. What else is there for me? Croft asks him, what's the answer? And this was Brady's response. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And then he goes on to say this finally. I mean, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. Still hadn't found what he was looking for in the words of Bono. Still chasing it. And all the while, you and I open up this little book called the Bible and we meet this rabbi from Galilee Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, Tom Brady, you don't know? I am the bread of life. Anyone who eats of me will never be hungry. Anyone who drinks of me will never be thirsty. With Jesus, the search is over. Amen. Amen. If you follow Jesus and you're still searching, you're misguided. Nothing that you get that suke and bios is going to do it for you. Take it from Solomon. Take it from Tom Brady. If you follow Jesus, what you need is to experience the life of Jesus in your life right now. You don't like your house, welcome to the club. You don't like your job, I like my job. <laughs> At least I have to say that in front of you guys. You pay my check, so. <laughs> but if you don't like your job, join the club. You're struggling in life, looking to find happiness, good luck. You need to take the words of Jesus seriously. I'm the bread of life, Jesus said. If you would love and follow me, I'll give you fullness. You won't be hungry. You won't be thirsty. And that was spoken by someone who had chosen a life of poverty and celibacy, who said of himself, I don't have a house. So if you want to follow me, you'll be homeless. I'm celibate. We're, we're, we're going to go live the radical life of helping the poor and healing the sick. And many, many followed Jesus because he had Zoe life. If you follow Jesus, the search for meaning is over. If you don't follow Jesus, you're going to keep on searching. And all I'm here to do is echo the words of Jesus from over 2,000 years ago and said, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. You want life? You want to be full? It's Jesus Christ. Believe me, 
He can fill your life. How many in here can honestly say, Jesus has made my life full? And when we're not following the way of Jesus, life can be pretty empty. We follow Jesus because he is our life, our bread. He is the I am. Amen? Father God, we are so thankful to have Jesus to run to in times like these where we can often feel, and and especially for the moms in the room today who may feel like their kids aren't turning out or they're not the kind of mom that they always imagined or they're not yet married or they're not yet with child or things as a mom have not filled every empty space. We pray for the men in the room who may be unmarried or maybe don't like their current jobs or don't feel like their marriage is going well or their lives are exciting. Jesus, we all need to come and eat and drink of you for real life. Forgive us for not valuing Jesus' life, for always looking for other forms of life, chasing the wind, chasing vanity, ego, success, material. But Jesus, you showed us that if it all got brought down to the place where we had nothing, like followed you with nothing, we could still have life because you're the life giver. And I know it's Sunday morning, Lord, and I know we're in church. I know this is the right thing to believe, but we don't all really believe this Monday through Friday. At least our lives don't look that way. It looks like we're chasing something else, even if we said we're chasing Jesus. It looks like we're trying to find life in the here and the now, even though we say we're chasing and following and finding life in Jesus. Father, I want to be a real follower of yours. I want to be a real Christian. I don't want to pretend. I want to chase you for life. And when the life I'm living seems to be void of the life of God, we run to you and say, fill our lives, Lord. Give us the life of God. 